There's a popular country song out right now called Good Old Boys. My boys actually introduced me to it. I like the song. I really do. I know some of you don't like country music. Well, that's a shame. I liked it. I like it a lot. Listened to it several times. The premise of the song is this, that we are no longer raising gentlemen, young men to be gentlemen in our world. But then, is it Blake Shelton that sings it? Blake Shelton goes on to say that that's not true everywhere. And it's certainly not true in rural America. Because out in places like Libby, Montana, we're still raising young men and women to be kind and generous. And the young men are being raised up to be gentlemen. And I believe that's true. As I look around Libby, Montana, that's exactly what I see. And there's a couple ways that it's very evident. The first one's going to happen in just about a month on Veterans Day. Kootenai Valley Christian School a number of years ago started a Veterans Day program. They now hold it here at the church and the place is packed and the kids are taught to respect veterans. I love that. Children should be taught to respect veterans. At the high school now for the past five years on November 11th, Veterans Day, they hold a Veterans Day program where they are teaching the young men and women that are there to respect those that have fought for our freedoms. And they do. And then I I watch around our society, around our culture, and I see those same young men and women not only respecting veterans, but respecting people older than them. I see it as they hold doors open for it. I see it as they reach out to them to help them with different things. And one of my favorite ways is at church, watching as some of our students will surrender their chairs to older people that need those seats. That's something that Tina and I taught our children when they were very young, that if you're in a group setting and there's somebody older than you and you're sitting in a chair, you're going to give up your chair for those people that are older than you. That's just the way it should be. It's a respect issue. And I'm watching as places like Libby, Montana are still teaching that. So I think Blake Shelton's got a pretty good song going and he is spot on that out in rural America, at least, we're still doing that very thing. I find myself as a preacher thinking that it's my responsibility to teach you respect for the Word of God as well. As much as we respect those that have gone before us, we have to respect the teaching of the Bible. And so oftentimes on Sunday mornings when we read a passage, I'll ask you to stand as we do it. And we do that out of respect for God's Word. And I'm going to ask you to do that very thing this morning. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11 with me. And what you'll find is that we're standing not only out of respect for the Word of God, but Solomon's teaching deals with the elderly, those that have aged. So out of respect for the Bible, would you stand and read with me from Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint, 
When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Go ahead and take a seat if you would, please. Now, as we read those words, you may find yourself thinking, if he is talking about growing old, it doesn't sound very good. It doesn't sound very appealing. And you could easily grab that very thought as we've made our way through the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Now, remember that I've told you that really this book is like reading Solomon's journal. He wrote down out of the great wisdom that God gave him all these different things so that they would be remembered forever. But as you read it from beginning to end, if you don't stop and really digest what he's saying, you can find yourself somewhat discouraged. This would be one of those passages that if you don't stop and digest it, you could feel somewhat discouraged about the idea of growing older. But if you take a second look, if you get a little deeper into it, you'll find great encouragement. You'll see the respect that Solomon gives to the aged. You'll see the respect and the ideas that he gives to the very thought of growing old. And it's really good teaching. For the most part, a number of scholars would say that this is the best teaching on aging in all of literature. Not just the Bible, but all of literature. It's the best thing you could ever find. And that's true because of the way Solomon breaks down this idea. He starts by telling us that we have to rejoice. He follows that up by telling us that we have to remove some things from our lives. And then he finishes it by teaching us to remember what really matters. Now let's go through those three things real quick. This is the sixth time in this book that Solomon would teach us, 12 chapters, six times, he would teach us to see life as a gift and to rejoice as we face every aspect of it. Now, that's just fantastic teaching. It really is. The life that you have and the number of years that you have on this earth is a gift from God. Rejoice within it. Now, in order to do that, we've got to find the small things and begin to rejoice in those, and that will lead us to the idea of rejoicing in the large things. But when that attitude of praise and rejoicing takes over, it permeates everything that we do. We started out this study a few weeks ago by looking at a parallel passage in the New Testament. I want to take you there one more time. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. So keep your finger there in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, but go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Paul writes this. He says, "...command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant." nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, if you were going to sum up Solomon's teaching from the book of Ecclesiastes, that's all you have to do right there. Just listen to Paul's teaching. God has provided us everything for our enjoyment. Get it in the right perspective. God has given us everything that we might enjoy it. Make sure that you see every aspect of it the way you should. Don't chase after meaningless stuff. Invest your life in what really matters. Now we're kind of getting into Phil's paraphrase of it. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 can easily sit right alongside all of the book of Ecclesiastes and look like nothing more than an exclamation point. This is the way it's supposed to be. 
Interestingly enough, in chapter 11, as Solomon starts to get his feet under him, he begins by addressing the younger people. Did you see that? Now, he's talking about aging, but he starts out by addressing young people. Let's go back there. Chapter 11, verse 7. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all, but let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Interestingly enough, he would use the idea of light to illustrate youth and darkness to illustrate old age. Now, maybe, just maybe, and this is just my opinion, he does that because old people see nighttime different than young people do. For those of you over the age of, let's just say, 40, how many of you can remember what it was like when you were young and the midnight hour was coming up on you fast and you never even thought about stopping whatever it is you were doing because there was plenty of nighttime left and you were willing to just party right on through it, do whatever you were doing, hang out with your friends right on through it? How many of you can remember those days? Now, of those of you that are over the age of 40, how many of you can now say, whew, I haven't seen midnight in a long time. The sun goes down, and all I can think about is, I want to go to sleep. I want to get some rest. Maybe, just maybe, that's why he uses this illustration, because we approach the light and the darkness differently. Yet he's still setting the table for us to understand that in youth, there's all these experiences, and then the darkness is going to come, and those days will be many. So capitalize on the light. It's extremely interesting how he says this. Pick up with me in verse 8 again. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart in whatever you see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Now, Solomon would go on in his teaching to make it sound just like this. If you're young and God has put something on your heart, you chase it. If you're dreaming about something, you chase it. You make sure that you go as far as you possibly can within that dream. Whatever it is God's put in front of you, you go after it. I'm one of those people who believes that it is not the job of older people to squelch the dreams of the younger. Now, you may want to impart some wisdom. You may want to give some insight. Do that. Because that's what we're supposed to do. That's part of discipling and mentoring. But as you put out your wisdom and your insight, the decisions still rest on the shoulders of those younger people. Get out of their way. It's not your place to squelch their dreams or to squelch their hopes. Get out of their way. It may not have worked for you, but it may be what they want. Let them chase it. You may not see the value in it, but they do. Do you realize this? God has wired every one of us differently. What you get real excited about, your children may not care about. The things that you chose to do, your grandchildren may have no interest in whatsoever. Let them choose their own path. Let them chase their own dreams. Now again, impart with them the wisdom that you have gained, but then let them do it. Let them go after those things. That's what life is all about. And then the days of youth, that's the way it's supposed to be. So give some direction and then shut up. That's basically the best way to say it. Give some direction and get out of the way. Now, to the young people, he would say this. And this is what I really want you to hear. If you're under the age of 30, you pay attention to this. If you're over the age of 30, just check out. You don't even have to listen to this. If you're under the age of 30, you listen. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. 
That's pretty powerful teaching. If you're chasing your dreams, young people, and you should, you make sure that you are measuring them against the truth of God's word. If you are chasing your hopes and your expectations, and you should, you make sure that they honor God. For the time will come when God will bring all things to judgment, including your decisions and the decisions of youth. So you make sure that you're measuring those against the word of God and the will of God and the nature of God, and you make sure that you're honoring God with those. If you've been raised in the church and you're sitting here because you have been, if you've been raised in the church, don't throw away your foundation. Don't get rid of all of that just because of your wants and your desires and your hopes. You hold on to the teaching that you have been given. At no point is Solomon saying, just cast all of that to the wind and go do whatever you want. That's not what he's saying. Solomon is telling you and reminding you, as you chase your hopes and dreams, you remember that God will bring all things to judgment. Do you really want him to do that in your life? I was talking with the guys that I pray with this morning, asking them just casual little question. In all of the years that they have lived and all of the people that they have talked to, have they ever once heard somebody say that they regret a life of righteousness? And very quickly they all said, never. Never heard anybody say that they have regretted a life of serving God and following God. Nobody's ever said that, boy, that was a bad decision. But then we flip the coin over and I ask him this, have you ever heard somebody say that they regretted not living a life of righteousness? And every one of them emphatically said, yeah, very quickly. That's the way it works because God brings everything to judgment. So we have to be careful about that. And if you're a Christian, one of the best ways to be careful about it is by remembering who lives in you. Go with me to the book of Galatians. This is a verse of scripture that really every believer ought to memorize. And it should govern a great deal of your life, if not everything in your life. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So if I'm trying to make sure that my actions are going to honor the Lord and I'm walking in his paths and I'm doing things that will not be brought to judgment, that's the best way to do it. Just simply remember that you have been crucified in Christ and it's no longer you that lives. It's Christ. It'll keep you on the narrow path. It will keep you where you should be. Chase your hopes and your dreams, but remember that you belong to Jesus Christ. You are God's child. And don't ever forget it. It will keep you walking the way you're supposed to. Now go back with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I want you to see this second thing that he says. It's found in verse 10. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body. For youth and vigor are meaningless. Now, youth and vigor are meaningless in the actual translation is this. Youth and vigor are fleeting. I don't know why they put meaningless in there, but the actual translation is fleeting. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are fleeting. It is so interesting to me that all these years ago, God in his wisdom would whisper to Solomon as he was writing down his journal, you put in something about anxiety. You put in something about worry. Because it's going to be around forever. It's never going to disappear. Anxiety and worry is always going to be out there. So Solomon, you write down that they need to cast that off and not let it have too much control in their lives. 
Think about what was happening in those days as Solomon was writing these words. If you were a believer in God, you were enslaved, you were out of slavery, you were enslaved, you were out of slavery. You had to worry about where your next meal was coming from. You had to worry about clothing. You had to worry about shelter. You had to worry about survival. Anxiety would have been a big, big issue. Fast forward 4,000 years and get to where we're at today. Anxiety is still a huge issue. Even though a lot of the things have changed and society has morphed and it's a lot safer, easier place to live, people are still driven by the issues of anxiety and worry, so much so that it can actually physically paralyze people. It can certainly emotionally paralyze people. Antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications are given out on epidemic, if not, this is the new term, pandemic levels. People are wrestling with anxiety over and over and over again. And every time they open up the newspaper, every time they turn on the television or the internet, that anxiety can increase exponentially to the point of paralysis. People have no ability to even move because of stress, because of worry, because of being anxious. I was at Walmart on Friday afternoon, ran in there just to pick up a couple things after going to the hospital to visit some people, then I was headed home. As I was checking out, the lady on my side of the counter was talking to the lady that was checking her out about things that were going on in this Ebola crisis. They were having a great conversation. The lady behind the counter finished up checking her out, had everything bagged up, she'd already paid, conversations going on. Lady on my side of the counter is leaning up against the counter. She now has an arm up here, kind of like this, and she's talking with her about it, and I'm standing behind her thinking I have three things. I just need to check out. On and on and on they go. Lady on my side of the counter says, I don't know that I will ever fly again, and if I do, I'm wearing a mask and a gown and gloves, and and I'm going to have hand sanitizer with me if I ever get on a plane again. Lady on the other side of the counter says, well, I'm never getting on a plane again. Made me feel really good eavesdropping on this conversation because Tina and I have to get on a plane this afternoon. I'm thinking, hmm, that's great. Ray Brossman was telling me before first service that the, the people that hold stock and hand sanitizer Boy, they have gotten wealthy this past week as the Ebola crisis has just gone the way it is. With every turn of the newspaper, anxiety and worry can increase. With every day of our lives, it can increase. So Solomon says, remove that. Get rid of that. Because that can become one of the biggest stumbling blocks you will ever have to actually living life the way God wanted us to live it. Jesus himself would talk about the idea of worry and anxiety in the Sermon on the Mount. Did you know that when he preached, Jesus made that one of his points? He said, if the birds of the air are taken care of and the beasts of the field are taken care of, if God knows the number of hairs on everyone's head and some heads are easier than others, if God knows all of those things, don't you think he'll take care of your most basic needs? Don't you think he'll take care of you? So don't worry, Jesus says. Isn't that, that's just pointed That's just great teaching. Just don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't let tomorrow run today. Don't worry about stuff. A lot of people read that, and by the time they turn the page in their Bible, worry and anxiety is back in their life. If they even made it that far. In today's world, we'll read those things and and think, well, that's all really good, Jesus, but how do I do it? I don't want to worry. I don't want to be anxious. I don't want all of this stress, and I certainly don't want to stumble over it. So how do I do it? Well, the Bible answers that question. You know that the Bible answers every question we have. The Bible answers that question. Let me show you what I would refer to as God's prescription for stress, worry, and anxiety. 
It's two pills, if you will. The first one is found in Peter's writing. Book of 1 Peter, chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 7. If you're a note taker and somebody that's been mapping your Bible, maybe you want to go to the front cover and write worry and anxiety, whether you deal with it or somebody you know deals with it, you need to know how to direct them in Scripture as they wrestle with it or as you wrestle with it. So write worry and anxiety and then write next to it, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. This is pill number one. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. It is so intriguing to me that those two ideas are put together. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, because if you don't, Satan will use it. You see that? You see the way they connect? It is one of the most powerful tools in our enemy's arsenal. Worry and anxiety is. He can actually render Christians paralyzed through worry and anxiety. He can get us so upset about things like what's going on in Houston, Texas, or things that are going on in northern Iraq. Remember what I said, Moody Radio yesterday, those things are driving Christians into the closet because they're worried that if anybody ever finds out they're a Christian, what's going to happen? They're worried if people find out how they feel about Jesus Christ, are they going to lose their lives? On and on and on it goes, but it doesn't even have to be at that level. If Satan can get a Christian to get tied up in stress and anxiety and worry, he can rob you of sleep, he can rob you of effectiveness, He can rob you of your ministry. He can rob you of joy. He can rob you of the ability to even rejoice, as Solomon would say. So, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, the Bible says. You might, like me, find yourself saying, okay, how's that any different than what Jesus said? Jesus said, if the birds of the air, beasts of the field are all taken care of, I will be too, so don't worry. Well, how do I pull that off? Peter, all he says is, cast all my anxieties on him because he cares for me. Okay, that's great. How do I pull it off? Pill number two takes care of that. Let's go to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Again, if you're a note taker in the margin of your Bible or in the front cover of your Bible, after 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, write Philippians 4, 6 and 7. You get those two things down and you find God's way for dealing with all this. Listen to the apostle. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God, or with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right, we start out the same way. Do not be anxious about anything. But then Paul takes it up a notch. He says, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God, and do it with thanksgiving. So here's the way that works. Your prayer might sound like this. Lord, thank you for being bigger than anything that's happening in my life. Thank you for being able to take care of these concerns. I am laying them at your feet, and I'm looking forward to what you do with them. So we start out by praying about the specific issue with thanksgiving. You acknowledge God's ability ahead of time. You look at all the blessings in your life. You lay all that in front of God, but the biggest blessing is God's power in your life, and then you leave it with him. You cast all your anxiety on him with thanksgiving through prayer and petition. And then did you see the promise that follows it? And if you believe the Bible, you have to believe that this is true. Then the peace of God that transcends all understanding 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we learn how to deal with anxiety and worry and stress, and we're able to do it with thanksgiving through prayer to give thanks to God, then the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard my heart and my mind. And the stress will lift. The anxiety will dissipate. And the worry will no longer have a hold on me. And I'll be able to release all of that to God and no longer be held captive by it. And here's the best part. Satan will be defeated. So I've got to remove that from my life. Young people, as they're making their way through life, will wrestle with stress and anxiety on a regular basis. It's a part of our world until we figure this out. It goes well on through middle age. gets right up there to those days where the shadows start to get long. Stress and anxiety is always there. Our responsibility through the power of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and our love of God and His love for us is to figure out how to get rid of it so it doesn't paralyze us. And folks, if we don't learn how to get rid of it, if we don't remove it from our life, here's what happens. In old age, stress and anxiety will be replaced with regrets and oftentimes anger and fear. And all those things will set in. So Solomon teaches, the Bible teaches, you cast that off. You remove it. Don't you let it hold on to you that way. For those of you that are dealing with the regrets, as you look back, let me offer you this. In the moments that you made decisions, you made the best ones you could. In some of those situations, I'm sure Jesus was a part of your life. You made the best decisions you could. In those where he was not a part of your life, you were not yet a Christian. They've been covered by grace. Let them be covered by grace. They don't have to be regrets anymore. They can simply be parts of your story that God has redeemed. You don't have to live with regrets. Young people, middle-aged people, those of you that are still tied in to worry and anxiety and stress, cast it off. And for those of you that have seen that morph into regrets, cast that off and let God redeem it. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes 11. Show you this third thing. Solomon would teach us that once we have learned to rejoice, we've remembered our Creator from the time we were young, and once we have removed these stumbling blocks, then remember God. Hold on to Him. Remember that He is your purpose. When everything else is failing, He is your purpose. Listen to how he says this. Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up with the sounds of birds, but all their songs grow faint, When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the street. Now that is Solomon's way of talking about the aging process. But he sets all of it up by saying, remember the Creator in the days of your youth so that as all of that happens, you will still have your purpose And you'll still know that there is usefulness in your life. 
Now, the language is somewhat cryptic and poetic, and so you have to pick it apart in order to understand it. So let's do that together. You don't have to write all this down, but if you want to, knock yourselves out. Let me just walk you through this step by step. He uses the term keepers of the house. Most scholars would tell you that that means your arms and hands as they begin to tremble. The strong men, that's your legs, knees, and shoulders, they weaken and people begin to walk bent over. It's a natural part of aging. Grinders, you start to lose your teeth. Windows, your vision begins to fade. Why are some people laughing? That almost sounded like wives elbowing their husbands and husbands elbowing their wives. I don't know. Doors, either your hearing fails or you keep your mouth closed. Grinding, you can't chew your food anymore. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's not funny, but have you ever gone to the care center and looked at what they're having for dinner? It can be pretty bad. It's true. It's just truth. Rise up. You wake up with the birds. I, I have to ask this question. How many of you, were, when you were young, could sleep till 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, sometimes till noon, 1 o'clock? How many of you would love to still be able to do that? <laughs> My dad used to get up at the crack of dawn, and he expected us to be up at the crack of dawn, and we could sleep on through it. And he would say to us, the time's going to come when you're not going to be able to sleep that late. And I would think, well, that's all well and good, but it ain't today. And so I'm going to sleep on for a while. And, and dad had no use for that whatsoever. He wanted us up at the crack of dawn. You know what I find myself doing now? Waking my children up. Get out of bed. What are you doing? Time's going to come when you can't sleep that long. Rise up. You wake up with the birds. Songs, your voice starts to waver. Afraid in the woods and in the city, fear takes over. Almond tree, your hair begins to turn white. That's the illustration of it. Oh, that some are so lucky. Grasshopper, you just drag yourself along as your body fails. Desire speaks to the loss of appetite or even possibly sexual desires. The eternal home. Finally, you go to your eternal long home and people mourn you. That's Solomon's illustration of the aging process. But remember, he set it up by saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth so that this stuff won't matter. You remember the creator when you're young so that this stuff doesn't rob you of your joy. You remember your creator so that you'll always have purpose. That's the way it's supposed to be. It really is. We're supposed to remember those things so that we constantly hold on to the fact that God's not done with us. And if we can do that, we can begin to live the truth of this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I love that passage. Because you know in it, there is never any out for retirement. There's never a place that it says, you stand firm until you can't anymore. It doesn't say, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord till you don't want to anymore. It says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This past week, I was sitting at my desk and I just started to make a list of people right here from this church that have taught us how to do that. They have learned how to stand firm and they let nothing move them because they know that their labor in the Lord is not in vain. It made my heart smile, made my face smile as I was writing this and I just finally had to stop After I had 15 or 16 of them, I just had to stop. Let me share with you some of the things that 
I was writing about. I was thinking of two guys when we built this building that were retired. We needed people to spearhead the project, and they stepped up and said, we'll do it. And they willingly jumped at the chance. So for two years of their lives, they dedicated themselves to bringing this building about. When it was cold in the winter, they had on multiple layers of coveralls, and they were here working. They were watching over other teams of people from the church that were coming and volunteering their time. But these two guys were here every day, oftentimes cell phone in their hands and in their ears, making sure that everything was happening right on time and happening the way it was supposed to. And the joy of it was to come around here and see them and be in their presence as they were smiling and laughing, having a great time. And the reason they could is they believed it and they communicated that they were going to work for the king. Every day they got up and they got to go do something for the king of kings. It was inspiring to be with them and still is today as they maintain the building that they built. There was one man that made a deal with God. This is an amazing one. His health was failing. So he said to the Lord, if you will extend my life, I will paint every square inch of that building inside and out. And Aaron Brossman did. He put every drop of paint on this building inside and out. There were guys outside, Bill Armstrong was leading some of them, getting siding up on the building, and it wasn't fast enough for Aaron. Aaron was just ready to paint. Not long after he finished, the Lord took him home. It was a cool story. I will never forget Aaron laying in the hospital, making that deal with God, and God honoring his part of it, and Aaron honoring his part. It was Old Testament. When his season was done, God took him home. We have a group of retired people that lead our candle ministry. They are here on a weekly basis, impacting people's lives in the name of Jesus Christ. They're all retired. They have the time to do it, and that's how they've chosen to invest these years. It's fantastic to see them as they help people through some of the most difficult times of their lives. We have a retired couple that leads our food pantry. Now, they have a team of people underneath them, many of which are still working. But these two are always making sure that the hungry are being fed. They don't want anybody to go without food, and they have honored their commitment. It's fun to be around them and see what they're doing with these years of their lives and this season. There's a lady sitting with us right now that played the piano here at Libby Christian Church for years and years and years. Long before Tina and I ever came, she played the piano. And before we got here, she stopped playing the piano because music changed. And she knew that the music at the church needed to change. So she willingly stepped aside and let other pianists take her spot because the music had to go a different direction. You want to know the cool part about that lady? Here it is. She has never once, not one time, ever grumbled about the new music. Instead, she sings and she dances and she worships. It is fun to watch her as she's able to say this is what needed to happen. For 25 years, the mission shop sits over here to this side of our campus. The mission shop was led by some ladies that have invested their life in that ministry. Uh, Just a couple of years ago, they stepped out of the way. One of those ladies that was really at the, the top of that leadership ladder She was in her 90s when she said, I need to let some other people take over. And she stepped out of the way. She stood firm, letting nothing move her all of those years, just like these other people did. We have people that drive our bus today that are retired, picking up kids. That's not what they did professionally. But when they retired from their occupation, they said, I can still do something. I will stand firm and let nothing move me because my labor in the Lord is not in vain. So they started driving the bus and picking up kids. 
Children's ministry has retired people, people that are well on in their years, that give themselves repeatedly to what happens in children's ministry because they are standing firm, letting nothing move them. And their labor in the Lord is not in vain. There are nursery workers that are doing the same thing, that refuse to stop. They are the grandparents of every child that walks into this building, and they love taking care of them, and they stand firm in it, letting nothing move them. There's a couple in the church that's taught a number of us how to go call on people. I thought I had that figured out after 15 years of paid ministry. Then I started going with them, and I learned a whole lot more about it. They're amazing to be with, and they've taught not only myself and Tina, but a number of people. They taught us how to care compassionately about other people and to be in their homes and to welcome others into our homes. Fantastic, just going out with them. It's incredible as you see this list continue to build, you'll stumble across people like elders that had served for decades and then said, I need to step out of the way so that the church can continue to grow. But when they stepped out, they continued to stand firm, letting nothing move them. And their labor in the Lord is not in vain. So today they teach Sunday school. They serve in other leadership capacities. They're on different ministry teams. You probably don't know this, but we have a group of guys from this church that serve as volunteer chaplains at the hospital. Nobody knows what they do. Nobody ever sees them. But they are there on a regular basis, blessing the people that are at some of the lowest points of their lives. And they're making a difference. They're standing firm, letting nothing move them. We have a blessings ministry that is largely run by people that are retired. They're the ones that are serving in it because they're standing firm and they are blessing other people. We have decision counselors that are using all of their life experience to lead other people into some hope, into some healing and relationship with Jesus Christ. The Stevens ministry will be peppered with people just like that, that are using all of their life experiences to bless other people, retired people. Gene and Darlene Oji are sitting right in front of me right now. Gene tells me all the time, and I've gotten to a place now where I mock him for it. He says, I'm 72 years old. I'll tell Gene all the time, you're 72 years old. Good, now you're 30 years older than I am. We go through all these different things. Gene and Darlene are 72 years old, leading Celebrate Recovery. And they just told me, reaffirmed for me again this past week, that they are standing firm, letting nothing move them as Celebrate Recovery moves on, impacting people's lives. Folks, that's the way it works when we remember the Creator from our youth and we let Him permeate everything that we do. As we grow old, our labor is not in vain. And it leads us to that place where we're going to be able to hear God say about us the things that every believer longs to hear. This is found in the the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. You've probably heard these words before. Chapter 25, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. 
The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. The story goes on to recount the man that was given one talent that went out and buried it. The Lord would say to him, cast him away, get rid of him. But the first two, the one with the five talents and the one with two talents, heard these words from God. You took what I gave you. You invested it for all these years and you never stopped. And when I came back for you, I was able to pick up not just what I had originally given you, but the harvest that came as a result of it. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And folks, as we grow old in the Lord, that's what we long for. To hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. But that is impossible unless we can boldly and loudly sing the words of this song. They begin with, it is well with my soul. Why don't you stand and sing with us?